0: It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Welcome to this podcast series on supervisors. I'm Enzo Garitano, President and CEO of IHSA. This episode is hosted by IHSA's Ken Rayner, Vice President of Customer Relations, Market Development and Labor Relations. Joining Ken today will be IHSA's own Alain Leger, Manager of Powerline Apprenticeship and Training, as they discuss the duties of a supervisor.
1: All right. Thanks very much, Enzo Garitano. Welcome to the IHSA Safety Podcast. Alain Leger. Hello, hello.
0: Hello, Ken. Thanks for having me, sir.
1: Great to have you here. Alain, it would be great if you could uh, start off by introducing yourself to our listeners, giving them a little bit of background about yourself, about um, maybe some of your experience with supervising workers in the workplace, and about your responsibilities at IHSA.
0: Sure, thanks. My name is Al Eje, I'm a power line technician by trade. Worked for both the contracting world and the utility world, where I was not only a power lineman, um, but I was a lead hand and a foreman slash health and safety advisor. I've supervised crew, led crews as small as one or two guys. And as many as you know, five or six out in the field um, during regular day work, storm restoration, trouble calls, etc. Um, and now, my role here at IHSA I was a power line instructor teaching apprenticeship, teaching high risk training activities. And now, I've recently moved into a management role where I manage the power line and apprenticeship consultants. So, we have about 16 full time power line trainers and a few administrative staff as well.
1: Okay, so we want to get into today a look at. Section 27 of the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which gets into duties of a supervisor. So just before the podcast, I was sort of looking up the word duty and either A, it's a moral or a legal obligation or responsibility, as in it's my duty to uphold the law, or it's a task or an action that someone is required to perform, i.e. the Queen's official duties. So this is a this is a serious obviously duties need to be taken seriously they're important. So let's go through them. We're going to we're going to talk through each one. Alan, you get your perspective on each of the duties that are listed under section 27 which talks about duties of a supervisor. So the first one says a supervisor shall ensure that a worker works in the manner and with the protective devices, measures and procedures required by this act and the regulations. So first, let's say the supervisor has to understand what regulations they're working under. They could be working under the industrial regulations, construction, healthcare, uh, mining. So first, they need to understand w- w- the work that's taking place, what it aligns with, and how would they how would they know those type of things? Al? How
0: would they know those types of things, Ken? It's about being a competent supervisor. So years of experience um, in the field, right? Taking different you know management courses or whatever kind of programs you want to call them, um, supervisory courses, basics of supervising, really knowing what job you're doing, the tasks involved, um, which will kind of point you in the right direction. Do you follow the construction regs, the industrial regs, within those regulations, which ones actually apply to the work that, that your crews are doing? You have to be able to, you know, the, the green book, like you call it, is, um it's, it's, it's a thick book. It's a difficult book to, to maneuver if you don't understand the more time you, t- you spend opening it up, opening it up, um, looking through things, the, the, the better you'll be. And there's, there's a lot of great information in there. A lot of information that we all have to follow these rules and regulations. And I don't think a lot of us know what that book says. Um, so being a competent supervisor, you know where to source the information. You know how to source it, how to look it up. You need to make sure your crews are following the regulations that, uh, that apply to the work they do.
1: So coming from the utility world and being a power line technician, you would have you would have worked both under the industrial regs and the construction regs, and I take it there's times maybe when it's not 100% clear which regs you're working under. How do you actually determine which is the right which is the right way to go, and then proceeding accordingly?
0: We used to go with the the more stringent regulation, right? So if it wasn't very we, in the power line world, we also have the electrical and utility safety rules. It's 50 set of rules that we have to follow. Um, that's mentioned both in the industrial and the construction regulations. Um, but as a company, we we took a stance where if, you know, we're doing some work that might fall under, under the industrial, if it wasn't very descriptive within the regulation, we would look at the construction regulation. And if the construction regulation was more descriptive, more descriptive, um, more stringent. That's the one we would follow, All right? Because at the end of the day, we want to do everything we can to keep our workers safe. So, if the construction reg um, was a little more stringent, that's what we'd follow.
1: All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce down to the last one just to to talk about it real quick. Which the last clause here under duties of a supervisor, which is. Take every precaution reasonable in the circumstances for the protection of the worker. Could that be an example of of one of those circumstances where you've taken every precaution reasonable because you looked at the industrial regs and said, I don't think there's enough here, and we're going to go to the higher standard?
0: Absolutely, 100%. That is a catch-all, like you say. Take every reasonable precaution. And when we go through our other three or four parts of the duties of a supervisor, it doesn't really mention training in there we use a lot in the power line field as as well as any other you know trade um, we use a lot of equipment and we follow a lot of processes procedures it's not the days of just giving somebody a hammer or giving somebody, you know, a, a saw or a, a belt or whatever in here, go to work. Those days are done, right? We need to make sure that we're training our workers in the tasks that we, that we expect them to complete. We need to make sure that we're training our workers in the use of the PPE that we'll get into, how to, you know, properly wear it, properly fit it, the use of it, the care of it. Um, we need to do a, a good job. As a competent supervisor, you need to make sure you're doing a good job training your staff in, 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 in all tasks.
1: All right. So you you mentioned personal protective equipment. That's um, why don't don't we talk about that? So under Section 27, uh, Subsection 1, Subsection B, it says a supervisor shall ensure that a worker uses or wears the equipment, protective devices or clothing that the worker's employer requires to be used or worn.
0: In most tasks... um even if your company doesn't have a joint health and safety committee, in most tasks, there's a procedure or there's a process on how to complete that task. And part of that would be, you know, what do we need to wear? What kind of PPE do we use to, to keep our workers safe? PPE is not an end all, be all, right? It's 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 our last line of defense, if you want to call it that, because it's on us, it's on our person. So if it fails, you're at a direct, in direct contact with that hazard we're trying to protect against. But that the PPE use is very important, and sometimes it's the most ne- neglected, right? Sometimes it's not comfortable to wear. It's it's easier to do without, right? If it's a quick job, um, take those take those safety glasses off. You know, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a cool day, and your glasses are fogging up. You know, especially right now with our masks. When your supervisor comes around, I used to think, you know, when I'm down in the trench and I'm sweating and, you know, taking my sunglasses off, taking my hard hat off because it's hot, um, the lead hand or supervisor would come around and say, hey, put your glasses on, put your hard hat on, right? I think, I used to think he was just being hard on me, but he's not, right? He's doing his job. Um, Part of being a good supervisor is making sure that your workers are wearing the PPE they're supposed to because you want them going home at the end of the day, um, you know, the same way they came into work and... You want them wearing that's. It's part of your duty to make sure that they're wearing the PPE that they're supposed to.
1: And it's the last line of defense. It's the last right? line. I mean, of we, talk, we talk about the hierarchy of controls. So if if a organization or if a supervisor has gone through that process and said, "Hey, can we eliminate the hazard? Can we control the hazard at the source? Can we control the hazard along the path? Can we redo something from an administrative perspective?" And if the answer is not succinctly, we can't eliminate the hazard. We can't control it to the point where we know there's not going to be a danger. Then that last line of defense is really that PPE, absolutely. Right? And if that worker is not wearing it, and that supervisor isn't isn't uh, tuned into the fact that they need what PPE they need for a particular job, then um, unfortunately we could have we could have a result that nobody wants. Absolutely. So uh, let's go to subsection two, where it talks about additional duties of a supervisor. So without limiting the duty imposed by subsection one, so saying, hey, you know, the subsection one still applies. We also have a couple other uh, extra ones that supervisors have to pay attention to. And that is um, advise a worker of the existence of a potential or actual danger to the health and safety of the worker of which the supervisor is aware. When we go through that again, advise a worker of the existence of any potential or actual danger. So we're not just talking about one that's very evident. We're talking about one that could be there, but perhaps without being competent or understanding what the dangers are because of working because of experience and, and knowledge and know-how, now we've got a danger perhaps to, to the worker. So um, let's talk about that one. So advising a worker of the existence of a potential or actual danger to the health and safety of the worker
0: absolutely so before every task before you set your crews out when you're at the job site even before they leave it's important to have that that conversation right we're going to be going to you know Bruce and Goose Street today and we're going to be performing abc as part of being a competent supervisor like you said Ken it's not only about protecting them against the hazards that you can see that everybody can see but it's about the potential right a good supervisor will have years of experience in the field years of experience completing that task they might be they should be able to you know, have input and insight on to what could go wrong, and that's what we're really trying to protect against as well. Is not what we can see happening, but what might happen, right? The 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 unforeseen, the unforeseen hazard, or the unforeseen release uh, of energy, or whatever it is.
1: Just going back, did you say the corner of spruce and goose? Yes, spruce and goose. <laughs> all right. yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't heard that saying before. <laughs> May <I> use that. <laughs> can I do I have permission to use 100%, that? 100% go forward, ahead. All right. Yeah. Moving on to the next one, we've got a supervisor, Shao where so prescribed provide a worker with written instructions as to the measures and procedures to be taken for protection of the worker so why do you think that it's why do you think they added the word written and didn't just say instructions
0: when you're dealing with multiple crews bigger crews doesn't matter what it is a verbal communication a verbal message right you can take that verbal message and you can break it down and repeat it or you know share it with your version of what i'm trying to say but if i give you written instructions it's ABC. If you and I have a verbal conversation if I tell you, hey, listen, don't step over this trench. There's a good fall hazard, right? There, there's a strong potential for you to drown or whatever it is, right? If we have that verbal conversation, if something were to happen, there's no documentation to protect you as the supervisor. If I give you written instructions, say, hey, listen, don't go over here. Um, there's a danger here. Don't do this. There's a danger there. Um, if I give you that written, that written document, you will have it to follow, right? If I leave, if I got to go somewhere else, you still have those instructions, number one, as a worker. And, you know, with you, with me sharing those with you, with us, having that conversation about that written document, you know, we both sign off. Well, then as a supervisor, it also protects you if uh, God forbid somewhere to happen.
1: Now, supervisors are required to do regular workplace inspections, correct? Correct. Could they potentially use that written procedure or the written instructions as a means to be able to perform a workplace inspection. So I'm talking about not just looking at the physical hazards, not just looking at the hazards that are the, you know, the trip hazards or is the, you know, the fire extinguisher signed off, but actually are, are the workers following the instructions as prescribed. And that in its sense is an inspection as well, right? It's an evaluation as to whether or not the workplace is has all the, the functionality in terms of a, a safe workplace. And part of that is following the instructions as were written that say, this is the safest way to complete the work.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, in, in my world, in the power line world, we're lucky where part of, like I said before, the electrical utility safety rules. One of those rules is we need to have a documented policy and procedure on all the tasks that we do. So... Um, we have those tasks, right? Or those procedures. If we're going to go in, you know, change a pole or cut in an inline switch or whatever task, whatever task it is, we have a documented step by step that we follow. As a supervisor, you might have multiple crews. So I might stop in at job A and I might say, hey, Ken, you know, I want you guys to do ABC, right? I leave. You turn around and, you know, maybe somebody didn't hear me properly and they said, hey, Ken, what did Al say? Oh, well, Al said BCA, right? Um, or you misinter you 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 give them a version of what you thought I meant, and then something might happen. who knows um, but if I give you guys a written message, written documentation, I can leave I go check my other crews if you don't remember what I had said, you look back and it's it's written down for you. It's jotted down um, there's there's no misinterpretation of the message because it's there. If something were to happen. The Ministry of Labour comes in and there's an investigation, you know, if there's a critical injury, a fatality, whatever have you, a verbal conversation has never happened. As part of a supervisor, as much as you want to protect your workers, you have to document that you're protecting these workers as well.
1: So, and then we get into that last one where it says, take every precaution reasonable in the circumstances for, for the protection of the workers, which we talk about that big catch-all. And what you were just saying, um, you know, what I was hearing you say was this is really based on risk. So, I don't, you know, the anticipation isn't that the supervisor comes on site and says, hey, I just want everybody to remember that lunch is at 12 o'clock. And I'm going to write that down for you so everybody remembers. That's, that, there's not risk associated with that, except for maybe some, some people being hangry. Yeah. Um, but, but, the, uh, but when you're talking about, hey, you know what? I'm bringing you this new piece of equipment that maybe you haven't used before or you haven't used for a year or two. And remember that, Alain, uh, when you do use it, do A, B, and C, and D, and it's all verbal. If I did that, if I delivered a piece of equipment as a supervisor to a site and gave you some verbal instructions on a piece of equipment that you don't use very often, would you state that I'm taking every precaution reasonable in the circumstances to protect that worker?
0: Not at all. That that catch-all, so your new piece of equipment, not only is it, here you go, here's a list of how to use it, A, B, C, D, E, you need to be trained on that use, on, on how to use that piece of equipment. Proper training, documented training is part of those duties.
1: All right. So important things for supervisors to remember, remembering what their duties are under the act. And Alain Leger, thanks very much for helping explain that to our listeners on duties of a supervisor today.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more in this series, join Ken Rayner as he speaks to other IHSA subject matter experts at ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. I'm Enzo Garitano.
1: The IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening.
0: Each year, about 5,000 IHSA Supervisor Logbooks are ordered for supervisors across Ontario. Why is the logbook so popular? Because it was developed by the industry for the industry. That's what makes it unique. IHSA thanks the members of the Labor Management Network and Advisory Councils who contributed their knowledge, experience, and time to the preparation of this Supervisor Logbook. Contact IHSA at 1-800-263-5024. That's 1-800-263-5024. 5024 or visit IHSA.ca. That's IHSA.ca.